I don't know how many times people need to hear the gospel before they put their faith in Jesus. Some people accept him the very first time that they hear about him. But for others, it's only after hearing the message of Jesus numerous times that they cross that line of faith. That was my story. I was only a kid when I trusted in Jesus. And yet, I know that by the time that I, that by the time that I put my faith in Jesus, I'd heard the truth about him on numerous occasions. In church, in Sunday school, and at home. But whatever that number is, there's one thing that's really clear. In order for us to be saved, people had to tell us about Jesus. Someone had to take the time and the effort to explain our need of forgiveness and how Jesus can meet that need through his death on the cross. Somebody needed to tell us. And God wants us to do this for other people. He wants us to follow Christ in witnessing to this world. So we're going to read from 1 Peter, chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 15 down to the the end of the chapter. So it's 1 Peter, chapter 3, and it's verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins. Once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Last week, Peter encouraged us not to be afraid of what other people what they might think, what they might say, what they might do. Instead, he called us in our hearts to set apart Christ as Lord. He called us to sanctify Jesus. To recognise Jesus as the Holy One. The Almighty God. 
the creator, the sustainer of this universe, and to accept him as our Lord, as our teacher, as our shepherd. Peter knew that if we did that, then we don't need to be afraid of what other people might think or say or do. Instead, we can just follow Jesus' commands. We can just walk in His ways. And we can worship Him from our hearts. But Peter didn't want us to keep that commitment to Jesus private. He wanted us to go public with our faith. To speak up about Jesus. And this passage teaches us the, the what, the who, the when, the how, and the why of this mission. So first of all, what should we speak about? Well, our mission, verse 15, is to share the reason for the hope that you have. As I've seen before in this letter, our hope is not a wishful thinking kind of thing. It's not a, oh, I hope this will happen, or I hope it will be a sunny day tomorrow. Neither is it a desire for just something better. I hope my life will improve. Rather, it's the confident and certain expectation of blessing to come. We've been given a new hope A new birth into a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Our hope is the guarantee of a glorious future in heaven. It is about an eternity spent with God, enjoying his presence, experiencing his glory and expressing our worship. This is our hope. And our mission is to explain the reason for that hope. The basis for it. The reason why we are so confident in this blessing to come. Why we are rejoicing in it. Why we can live in the reality of it. So what is this reason? What is the reason for our hope? Well, of course, it's not our circumstances. Because many of us go through really, really tough times in our lives. So it's not the things that are happening in our life that make us filled with hope. Neither is it our character or our conduct. Because if we're going to be honest, all of us continue to fall short of the glory of God in our lives. Neither is it our church. Because as a church, we'll never be everything that we should be. Instead, the reason for the hope that we have is Christ. It's Christ and Him alone. This is what Peter so powerfully declared in verse 18 of our chapter. An amazing verse to remember. It says this at the start, Christ died for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins to pay the price that our sins deserved. And he did this once for all. 
On the cross, our debt was paid for in full. The work was finished. So no more sacrifice for sin is required. No more payment is is required. This sacrifice does not need to be continued or repeated or added to. This morning we have not made a sacrifice for our sins. We've remembered Jesus' sacrifice. This is completed. And it's once for all and paid in full. And he did this, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus was our substitute. He took our punishment. He died our death. He suffered our hell. And he did this so that we could be reconciled to God. Jesus died to bring you to God. Through his death, Jesus removed the barrier between us and God. He bridged the gap. He dealt with our offence so that we can enter into that loving, living and eternal relationship with him. And the proof of that The proof that that is something that is real and that's something that's a reality is Jesus' glorious resurrection. Because he was put to death in the body but he was made alive by the Spirit. The empty tomb shows that Jesus' payment for our sins was accepted. It declares that he has defeated death. And it proclaims that one day We all rise with him in glory. So this is the reason for our hope. That Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. The reason for our hope, it's Jesus. It's his merciful love, his amazing grace, the power of his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection. It's the fact that he has rescued us from darkness into light, from death to life. So that's the reason that we can stand before God today. And that's the reality that we celebrate today. But that's also the message that we need to share today. We must not keep that to ourselves. We need to speak about our Saviour and the salvation that He won for on the cross. So that's what we should speak about. But who should we speak that to? Who should we tell about this? Who is the message for? Well, Peter said that we should give the reason for our hope to everyone. Now this doesn't mean it's our job to tell everyone. Because none of us can do that. It's claimed that Billy Graham, that the, the evangelist who, who passed away just earlier this year, 
that he preached the gospel in person to more people than anybody else in all of history. Something like 215 million people attended his meetings. 215 million. And then about 2 billion, it's estimated, heard him through TV, through radio, through internet, videos and all that kind of stuff. And yet, even the likes of Billy Graham couldn't reach everybody. There are still many people in the world today who still have never heard the gospel of Jesus. So we can't tell everybody. That's not our job. But we do need to realise that this message is for everyone. Jesus sent his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Because this was a message that was for everybody. And so we need to be willing to share this message with everybody that we can. Without prejudice or discrimination. This is a message for everybody and anybody. But when should we share this message? Well, firstly, Peter said that we should do this to everyone who asks you. We should speak about Jesus when people ask us. When people come up and ask us, what is it you believe? And I think behind this is the reality that if we are following Jesus, if we are living out his example, if we are obeying His commands, if we are expressing His love, if we are walking in His holiness, then we are going to stand out in this world. We are going to be like, as Peter talks about, aliens and strangers in this world. We are going to look like really odd people in this world. And people will notice that we're different. They will see that we have different ethics or standards. That we have different ambitions or different goals. That we have different attitudes to money, to power. Different responses to our struggles and our suffering. And so they might ask, what is it that makes you guys different? Why do you have this, this living hope even as you live in this difficult and uncertain world. And in response, we can tell them that it's not because that we are better or that we are amazing people or that we are so good, but it's simply because Jesus has saved us and that he has transformed us and he has brought us into that sure and certain hope through his death on the cross. God's plan is that how we live will provide the platform for us to tell other people about Jesus. There's obviously a challenge in that, isn't there? The question is, are we living like that? Are we living like aliens and strangers in this world? Or do we just look like everybody else? But it's possible that Peter was thinking about another situation here. The word that he used here when he told us to give an answer is the word 
apologia, from which we get the English word apology. Now, when we use the word apology, we usually mean sorry. I'm sorry for something that I did wrong. I need to give you an apology because I upset you, because I offended you, that kind of thing. But in the New Testament, this word was used to describe a legal defence in a courtroom. So Peter is literally calling these people to be ready to defend themselves when they're accused. And actually, read the context of this verse, that makes sense. Because that is the context of this passage. In the previous verse, verse 14, that we read last week, Peter said that we might suffer for what is right. And then in the next verse, in verse 16, he said, about, he talked about those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ. And then in verse 17, he talked about the possibility of us having to suffer for doing good. So this is the context of this verse. It's in a hostile environment. When people are pointing the finger and accusing you, or even worse, attacking you. But even then, even when people criticise us, even when people accuse us, even when they might prosecute us or persecute us, God wants us to be ready to defend our faith. He wants us to be ready, even in that very hostile situation, to share the reason for our hope. Even when we're surrounded by people who might hate us or detest us, he wants us to share the message of God's love and grace. Of course, that's not easy. But the real encouragement thing, encouraging verse that that Jesus said in in Luke chapter 12, tell those that we're not on our own in this. Jesus promised his disciples, when you are brought before synagogues, Rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. God is with us and he will give us the words. I'm sure some of you have experienced that, haven't you? You've been in a situation, somebody's asked a question, accused you spoken harshly against you, and you want to say something about Jesus, and you don't know what to say, but God just gives you the words at that point in time. And you walk away thinking, that was good. Hope I remember that one again, because I learned something then. So really I think what Peter is saying, there's no restrictions in our calling to share the gospel. Whether it's easy and encouraging, or whether it's difficult and hostile, We need to always be prepared to speak up for Jesus. Always be ready to talk about Jesus. That's what Paul challenged Timothy, his young friend, to do. In 2 Timothy 4 and 2, preach the word, Paul said. Be prepared in season and out of season. Whatever our circumstances Whatever our audience, whatever their attitude to us, we are called to share the gospel. 
whenever people are ready to hear. But Peter also said that we need to be careful how we do this. We can't just do this any old way. Peter said that when we speak, we need to do this with gentleness and with respect. God wants us to hold strongly to our beliefs and convictions. I'm absolutely sure that he wants us to be certain about our faith and our hope, unmoving about those things. He wants us to be committed to sharing the message of Jesus with everybody that we can. But we mustn't do this forcefully. We mustn't do this with manipulation or with mockery or with ridicule. Instead, we're to share this message of Jesus with gentleness, with kindness, with tenderness, with care. One reason for this is because it can silence our accusers. Verse 16. Keeping a good conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. When we respond to such vile and and hate-filled attacks on us, if we respond with gentleness and with respect, they might be embarrassed about what they said to us. They might be ashamed of the way they've spoken about us. The truth is, of course, we cannot argue anybody into repenting and trusting in Jesus. But we may have the privilege of loving them into our relationship with Jesus. But this is also the way that we honour God. Peter says it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There is no honour to God If his people suffer because they're just being obnoxious or disrespectful or argumentative or condemning. That doesn't honour our God. We might be saying the truth, but if we say it in a way that dishonours God. But God is honoured when his people suffer because they gently and respectfully And lovingly share the message of Jesus. That is honouring to God. Why is that honouring to God? Well, because it's the Christ-like way. This is how Jesus spoke. This is what Isaiah prophesied about him. Matthew quotes in his Gospel, Matthew 12. So this is about Jesus. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Such gentleness. And yet also such strength. In being willing to suffer for the benefit of others. He is the one who died, the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered so that we could be saved. And we are called also to follow in his steps of suffering 
suffering the criticism, the accusations of others, so that other people can hear the gospel, so that other people can be saved. Now, of course, none of this is easy. I've yet to meet somebody who feels that sharing the gospel in all of these ways is easy. If you find it easy, great. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to give you a big pack of tracks and just send you out because you can go for it. Okay? I think most of us find it difficult. It's tough to keep on speaking when we're faced with hostility and accusations. And so Peter finished with some encouragements for us about why we should speak up. The first reason comes from verse 19 and 20. Now, if you know this passage at all, you'll have been thinking, is he actually going to talk about this one? Because these are some of the most difficult to interpret verses in the whole of the Bible, some people say. Okay? And there are three main views, there are a whole lot of views on this, but three main views. So let me just read it out to you. Verse 19, before we look at what the views are. Verse 19, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay. So the first view is that this, people claim that this means that between his death and his resurrection, Jesus preached to, to people in hell, the people who died while Noah was building the ark. Okay. Either proclaiming the gospel to these people, or just declaring his triumph over sin and death. But there's lots of problems with that view. People would ask, why would Jesus do that? And why only to this select group of people? Only to the people who have died during the, the ark being built? And how does that match with those verses in the Bible that show there's no opportunity for repentance in hell? There's no second chance after death. So that's one view. Other people think that these spirits in prison are fallen angels. And Jesus went there to proclaim the God's condemnation on them. But the big problem with that is Genesis doesn't talk about fallen angels, angels falling into disobedience at the time of Noah building the ark. So that view is really unconvincing for me. And so possibly, and with all these, with this kind of issue, you hold that gently, possibly the best view is that Peter was saying that when Noah was building the ark, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, was preaching through Noah to the hostile unbelievers all around him. People who at the time that Peter was writing were now spirits in prison, in the prison of hell, because they died, obviously. Now, actually, that fits with some of the other verses that Peter wrote. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, that talks about the, the Old Testament prophets how they were trying to work out what the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing to when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow. So the Spirit of Christ was preaching through the prophets about Christ's future suffering 
and glory. And so it's maybe not too much of a stretch to think about the Spirit of Christ preaching through Noah to the people around him when he was building the ark. And it also matches with 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where Noah is actually described as a preacher of righteousness. He is someone who declared God's righteousness. And I think this final view, this third view, also fits with the context of this passage. Because Noah, in, in many ways, was like us. He was a man of God, living in a fallen world, and yet through the work of the Holy Spirit, he was called to preach the message of God's righteousness while waiting for, a, for judgment to come. And although he was surrounded by hostile unbelievers, he was able to hold on to his faith and declare that truth. And God was able to save him and his family. And so I think if this is, if this is the accurate interpretation of this verse, then I think Noah's example can really encourage us today. That even although we are also in a minority, in a world that's often hostile to those who have faith in Jesus. That we can keep on speaking for God. Even as we wait until the ultimate day of judgment. Because the same Holy Spirit that worked through Noah and the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living in us and empowering us. And he will ensure our ultimate salvation. So do you see how that would have been encouraging? How we can see how God worked through Noah and how God can work through us. And we can also be sure that we are among those who will be saved because of our baptism. Peter connected the flood of the water of the flood to the water of baptism. And he said this, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Now I don't think Peter is saying that the ritual of being immersed in water actually saves us, actually forgives our sins. I don't think that at all. Peter I think makes that really clear in, the next, in this verse because he then goes on to say it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No religious ceremony can save us. The only way to be rescued from sin and death is through the sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. It's only through Jesus. That's the only way to be saved. It's only through believing in Jesus, through faith in Him. The message of the Gospel is this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It is by faith we are saved. But baptism is, is important because it's the outward expression of that faith. It's the outward declaration of that commitment to Jesus. Or as Peter calls it, it's the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It's a declaration that we are trusting in Jesus. That was even clearer in the New Testament days. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll realize that most people were baptized on the very day that they trusted in Jesus. 
So in those days you could say, oh, on what day were you baptized? And you could ask, on what day did you come to faith in Jesus? And it was the same day. So you could celebrate the day of your baptism as the day of your faith, of your salvation. And so guys like Noah, we are a persecuted minority. We might not see a lot of fruit for our ministry. We might be holding on to a day not yet here. But like Noah, we can preach the message of God's righteousness with the confidence of knowing that we are saved saved from the judgment to come. Not through our goodness, not through our efforts, but through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we declared when we were baptised. But finally, we can be sure of all this because although Christ suffered for a time, verse 22, he has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. I don't know if you noticed that last Thursday was Ascension Day. 40 days after Jesus' resurrection when Jesus was taken right up into heaven. Jesus is now vindicated and exalted. He's now taken his rightful place at God's right hand because his salvation work is done. Death has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. And the powers of evil have been crushed. And so we can look forward in confidence that although we might experience hardship and suffering now for a time, our service for Christ is worth it. Because one day, we're going to share in His glory. Because we're going to see Jesus face to face. So this is our calling. This is our mission. We are to share the message of Jesus to everyone that we can whenever we have the opportunity with the gentleness and respect of Christ but with the confidence that although we might suffer ridicule and accusation and attacks now Ultimately, we will be saved because Jesus has overcome and he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God.